Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get a recap of what we will talk about today, some questions to talk to your friends or your family about to reflect on what we talk about today. On the back, you get the verses we will hit. On the bottom of that, you get a place to write down some notes. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. And once you download it, it just says Bible. Click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand? with me for the reading of God's Word. This is Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, and it says this, Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that we would be a people who our lives are completely given over to you because ultimately you are the one who teaches us. You are the one who leads us. And you lead us into goodness and grace and life. And in so doing, I ask that the things that we sow in our lives ultimately would reap a harvest of glory for you as we gain that joy in our lives that you bring. Amen. Have a seat. We are going through the New Testament book of Galatians. This is week 25. We have this week and next week left, and then we are done. I will next week hold for applause. (laughs) Not for me, but that you guys made it all the way through. 26 weeks, that's half a year. That's, that's, That's pretty long. So today, I'm a little bit at a loss of how to start. So if you have a Bible, open to Galatians chapter 6. If you're using one of the Bibles at Element, that's on page 633. Uh, I have a hard time starting today because I think Galatians 5, 26 through 6, 10 all goes together as a block of thought. Um, I think when you look at it, you'll see that there's so much here of Paul talking about being everything and nothing, burdens and loads, and that today he will talk about this thing called sowing and reaping. One commentator I read said that Galatians 6, 1 through 5, he called it burdens and loads part 1, and then the next thing he called it uh, uh, verses 1 through 10, he said burdens and loads part 2, which I really think goes together again because how we bear one another's burdens, walk through loads with each other, leads to this idea of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. But there is this little verse, verse 6, that kind of connects these two ideas. And it says, the, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Uh, the NIV will say it like this, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. That does not mean if you have good concert tickets, you have to give me one. Unless they're really good concert tickets, then I will take one in that. But I'm going to start off with this and how these things connect. So how we receive instruction in the word and from the Lord is that we are gathering together as a people. People teach that to us. When pulling these pieces together where Paul has been in the last few weeks, you'll see some questions that have been asked and then answered. What is flesh? What is spirit? What is sin? What is burden? What is load? How do we get help? And so by walking through this, what you see is truth upon truth that figures out how we live these new lives. This is done in the church. And when we say in the church, we don't mean a building. What we mean is the people who gather together. And this is where Paul is pushing us towards at the end of the book. He has spent so much time talking about grace. And now that is going to be borne out in how we live with each other. Anyone who receives instruction in the word, that happens through the teaching of the scriptures. 
God uses the teaching of the scriptures to begin to change us to see what he calls us into. So we move from self-centeredness to loving sacrifice, from bitterness to thankfulness. And when the scriptures are not taught faithfully and truthfully, people start to think that we are the center of the world. And then we start to break into factions because we make everything about us. And Paul says that results in envy and discord because, again, we think it's all about us. And when I use these words and we talk about these things that Paul does about obeying God, it's weird that I always feel like I have to give this disclaimer that this isn't about legalism. What you see is Paul has spent four and a half chapters of the book of Galatians just going back and hammering what grace and the gospel is. So when he gets to the places where he talks about burdens and loads and sowing and reaping, you don't get the wrong idea that this isn't about karma. This isn't about legalism. It's how we live out in our lives the things that God has done in us. But anytime you say, obey God, people think, oh, this is legalistic. No, we obey God because God is the only being in the entire universe that is worth obeying. And we always kind of have to give that little caveat, oh, it's not legalism, because we think that God is there to harsh our buzz, to stop us from having fun. How dare God do these things? This isn't legalism. This is living in grace. We want to obey God because He's worth it. We need to be taught the Scriptures so we understand that truth, what God is leading us into. Then we start to love those around us as we begin to carry their burdens and walk through loads with one another. If you missed us talking about that, it's two weeks ago, you can get it on the podcast. Podcast, but truth and understanding take place better when people receive instruction in the Word. This is why we gather together when we talk about this. So in Acts 20, Paul will talk about the whole counsel of God's Word. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, James says this, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This, is mean, this means the scripture is not just information. It's how we're meant to live our lives, loving God, understanding what he has done for us. It brings transformation. We love Jesus as Lord, God, and Savior, but as a person, not just a concept. Teaching the scriptures must always be about Jesus. It's not about morality, but loving and following Jesus does bring some changes into our lives and how we live. The spirit comes into our lives through the work of the gospel. We have love, joy, hope, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Again, it all happens under the teaching of the scriptures when they're taught rightly. The Holy Spirit then builds us into a maturity that brings an intimacy with one another. Galatians 6, 6, again, let the one who has taught the word share good, all good things with the one who teaches. We become grateful for that. And this isn't about me telling you, hey, you need to appreciate me. That's, I'm not trying to, you know, some false modesty where you got to like make me feel better. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you have someone in your life that loves you enough to open the scriptures with you, love them. You can disagree. You don't have to agree on every minute point of theology. There are open-handed details in the scriptures that are fine to have over here. But, but if you have someone who teaches you the word, value that. Love them in that. I had a pastor when I first became a Christian who spent time with me and talked to me about the Bible. And we have varying ideas on a whole lot of different things. We've had our ups and downs, but we still talk to this day. I think one of the problems in Galatia is that the teachers are teaching their traditions of men. They're not teaching the Bible. And what we will see when Jesus shows up is everything in the Bible was pointing towards him. And if people are not teaching Jesus, we are not teaching the Bible. Jesus must be the subject. And not to sound too cynical, but I think that is the major problem with preaching and teaching today. People are not lifting up Jesus. So, 
got to ask yourself the question. Does your church, if you go to Element, do we lift up Jesus? If you are visiting, does that church lift up Jesus? That's the main question. Do we lift up Jesus? And then does that bring a difference in our lives and how we live? Do we now show Jesus in our lives? Does the Holy Spirit come and do a work or do we hinder him? Do we learn the scriptures? Do we seek to connect to other people to build up the body so we can walk with one another? Because this is where Paul is going. It's a lot out of one little verse. I know you're like going, wow, I, this, this is the problem. I could talk about one verse forever, but I'm going to move on just a second here. But the reality is that God has given us all that we need for faith and godliness in our lives. And maybe you have been trying to break into a friendship group and you're just having a really hard time. Well, move to another one. Try and break in somewhere else. Please connect to one another in ways because as we gather, that's how we listen. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we begin to disciple one another. Okay, so I'll move on now. So how we receive instruction in the word leads to this idea of proper sowing and reaping. Again, the first two-thirds of Galatians deals with theology, grace, the gospel, living out our lives, the understanding of what the gospel brings into our lives. And that pushes us into a certain type of life. It's not that we try to be good enough for God. It is that God has come to us. He has given us grace. The gospel is not about culture. It's not about being an American or Canadian or Jewish. It's about Jesus, that Jesus is God and he has come to love us. He come to draw us to himself, to save us, to transform us, to heal us, to redeem us. And as he loves us, we should love him back. And as we love him back, we then begin to love one another in a restored community. That's how Galatians ends. That through the understanding of his great love for us results in our love for him and then how we love one another. That's really the, the heart of Christianity right there. So in these last verses, Paul gives us the resources of how this is possible. Number one. The teaching of the scriptures, what we just talked about. We need people who know the Bible, who we can learn from, and then we can share what we learn with other people around us. And that goes into the church. Those are the people who love Jesus, who come alongside of us, who love us in order to restore us and correct us with the ideas of burdens and loads, which is what Paul just talked about. And then the Holy Spirit. God places his presence in us through his spirit, and that results in the fruit of the Spirit. Paul moves this whole idea, loving each other, work of the Spirit, work of the Scriptures, to a basic foundation that is in all of this. And that is the idea of sowing and reaping. That is a basic principle of farming or botany. I don't know if you like to grow things. At my house, I try to pull up the shrubs and put rocks over them or concrete's even better because then they can't grow back because I do not like taking care of gardens and stuff. My wife loves it. My wife loves, we got this garden in the back of our place. She's got these big tins full of dirt. I call them vegetable growing devices. Even, and I'm not that bright. She's a lot smarter than me. But even I understand the basic principle. What kind of seed you plant in the ground is the type of thing that you will harvest at some point eventually. Basic principle. So uh, last week, we had some volunteers get together. They went out to Rancho Guadalupe. If you know AJ, you can say thank you for this, but AJ gives us these pumpkin seeds and a plot of land. And people went out and they planted these pumpkin seeds for pumpkin killing in October. So you wait a few months, we plant those pumpkin seeds. What do we get? Right. You don't get cucumbers unless they gave us the wrong seeds. 
but you get pumpkins. That's the point. What you plant, that's what you are going to reap. It's a corresponding. You don't plant an apple seed and hope to get a Camaro or a Sharpie or I was going to say Britney Spears for Sarah McCool, but I now I'll just say a new knee for Sarah Nicole, McCool. You know, no, you get an apple tree. It's a direct correlation of how it works. That's just there. The correlation, even if you're not the best gardener, you can begin to understand that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. So do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one, so, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That goes back to when Paul talks about the works of the flesh. You sow that, you reap that. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The fruit of the Spirit. The same thing. You sow you reap. Verse 9, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Sowing, reaping. Sowing, reaping. Sowing, reaping. That's how it goes. Hopefully you can see how that then relates into our relationships. Paul says throughout your life, there will be a correlation, cause and effect. We are always sowing something. Either we are sowing from our sinful nature and it's going to lead to death and destruction in our relationships and our lives, or we are sowing from God's bucket, fruit of the Spirit, and we're tossing that out there, and we are going to reap life and renewed relationships with one another. We get the choice of what type of seed we are going to then scatter in our life. See, it becomes very practical, and this is why we're called to know the Word, and this is why Paul has spent so much time talking about the Gospel before we get here. We should not be seed by others or ourselves what our harvest will ultimately bring. So we have a choice. What seed will you scatter? Sow, reap, sow, reap, sow, reap. You sow sin all over your life, you will eventually reap that harvest of death and destruction. Put your hand in a God's bucket and sow that out in your life and you will reap real life, spiritually and in quality. So Paul starts with this warning. He says, do not be deceived. Why does he say that? Because we're easily deceived. Duh. <laughs> it's, it's not that hard. We are so easily deceived. We are always thinking that if I do this thing, it doesn't really result in that. People typically run to a place of deception, and we think we aren't being deceived. I'm not talking about conspiracy theories. I mean, I could, but I'm not talking about conspiracy theories. I am talking about how we convince ourselves lies are actually true. There are people running around trying to convince you country music is actually okay. I don't get that. We are a people who think that if you sow sin and sow rebellion and sow folly, it's not really going to matter in our lives. We'll pick up and just move on, that there's no bill to pay. But there is, because it's deception. Some people run in a terrible direction for a really long time in their lives, and they don't see the consequences for a whole bit. And then one day, boom, and they're surprised. They're like, oh, what just happened? It's like a seed. It takes time to see the harvest. As someone who is sexually promiscuous, one day they get an STD. It's like, how'd that happen? Sowing and reaping. Monetarily, maybe you never save and then you get old and you have no money. It's like, what am I going to do? It's sowing and reaping. You spend all of your time on your phone, always looking down. Or maybe you have kids and you babysit them with an iPad. And then it's like, why doesn't my kid want to interact with anybody? Why are they isolated? Why are they always staring down? Sowing and reaping. It all goes together. God loves us. God wants us to see the truth. People sin and they think God just doesn't care or he doesn't think it's a big deal. 
because the harvest hasn't arrived yet. I talked to this guy once who was destroying his family. And I said, what are you doing? And his response to me was, if God wanted me to stop, he would strike me with lightning. And I thought, really? That's how you want God to show up? Wow, not in love and grace, but like a firebolt to fry your butt? That, that's what you want God to do? That, but that is the picture of people when they see God. They think, oh, God is there to stop my fun. That is self-deception. It's turned towards ourselves. Scripture tells us that Satan is the great deceiver leading the world astray. Deception means you are convinced of the wrong thing and it leads you further and further away from God. You go back to the beginning of the Bible, right? You got Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. God can't tell me what to do. I'm going to figure out my life on my own, what's right and wrong for me. And yet they already had what so many people today want, a real relationship with God, a real relationship with one another. They're naked. They're eating fruit. They have no shame, no body image issues. And yet they run from God. They sow death. And they sow in that death this broken relationship with God. And they fall deception because God is not good enough for them. And look where we are now. How great is that? Like some people convince themselves of deception. They convince themselves that a lie is actually true because what we really want to do is sin. We want to do what we want. I personally think Satan is self-deceived. I think he thinks he's probably going to win one day. Like there's this old movie called The Devil's Advocate where the devil thinks he's a good guy and God's the bad guy. Paul says our deception makes us think sin will not lead to death. And then people get shocked when their lives fall apart. I got <clears throat> lots of stories. I'll give you a couple. Okay. And they're not really funny. But anyway, uh, I got a story of a woman whose husband left her. They've been married about 15 years. And she comes to me and she was talking about it. She said he changed. And that's why he left. So I go and I talk to him. And I said, so what's going on with that? And he said, every day. 15 years. Uh, she never respected me. She never loved me. She never encouraged me. She bites. She nags. I got home and so it wasn't, we had these kids. The kids get old enough. They, they start doing that themselves. My kids disrespect me. My kids keep just pushing. And he goes, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. So his wife is sowing seed all over the household. And this is what it looked like. Now, I am not saying the guy is blameless because all he wanted in his home was things to go smoothly. So when he got irritated, he never said anything. He didn't say, hey, this is hurting me. He didn't say, hey, how can I love you? How can we love one another so that this doesn't continue to happen? He just kept overlooking it. And, over, and 15 years later, boom, the harvest comes. Rather than dealing with it, maybe pulling up the bad seed and replanting some good seed. Neither of them did that. And as blunt as I can, I will tell you this, he did not change. He was exactly this way when they got married. She was that way when they got married. And now the harvest came and they were done. People live in folly. And they say, why did this go so bad? I'll go the other way. I talked to a guy whose wife left him. He couldn't figure out why. And so you know, I asked her and, and she says, he never paid any attention to us. What his response was, but I was a good provider. It turns out he worked all the time never took time for her. He found his identity, not in Christ, not even really in being a husband, but he finds his identity at his job. It really, his job was his wife. And so his real life becomes emotionally starved. And the only way out after she, the only way she got his attention after 20 years of marriage was when she actually left. Now, I am not saying that she didn't sow any seed in this. She loved the income level that was provided for her. She was one of the Instagram moms. Hey, look how great things are. Oh, my marriage is great. When she knew it wasn't, she felt neglected, but just kept going on and on and on. So she just started to put her effort into being a mom, not trying to figure out, hey, how do we love one another? How do we replant this seed? Her identity became not in Jesus, but in her online persona and in motherhood. 
We fill our lives with false idols all the time because it is not that being a husband or a wife or a, or a mom or a dad or a single or any of those things are bad. It doesn't matter you know, what your job is. Your job can be a great thing, but when great things become ultimate things, they will not survive. People say, how to get hooked on drugs? How'd I end up alone? How'd she get pregnant? <laughs> How'd I get into debt? The whole time we're sowing seeds thinking nothing is going to happen and then boom, something happens and we're always surprised. People are shocked when something happens to them. I got another one. I'm on a roll. Can you guys handle this? One more? Okay. All right. This isn't you guys. It's nobody in this room. You're my best stories. I can't use any of you for anything because then you get offended. Okay. All right. Um, so I, I knew this guy uh, in his early 20s. Uh, he's negative, mopey, sucks the life out of the room where, no matter where he goes. That's in his early 20s. He's in his late 40s now. And so you talk to him. How you doing? Not good. Uh, how's your summer? Not good. How's today? It's a bad day. Yeah, I know. I didn't need to ask. Every day's a bad day. I get it. He's like one of those uh, lawn fertilizers. Everywhere he goes, right? Just, just blah, everywhere he goes. That's him. So anyway, one day he, he meets this girl. Uh, she, she's really sweet. She really just wants to, to be somebody's mommy. She, I mean, she, she's really sweet. Anyway, they meet. He starts to come out of his doldrums a bit, and they decide that they're going to get married. I did their premarital counseling, and I said, here's the problem. This is what's going to happen, and you guys need to be aware of that. Oh, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. Well, they get married. A couple years later, he goes right back to who he was. He expects her to pull him out out of his doldrums. He expects her to be his God, to make him feel better, and it didn't work. She felt like she was emotionally and mentally abused, and so she leaves. We, her, and I talk about it. I call and I talk to him, and then he sends me this email that says, you lied to me about everything that went on. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But in one sense, I, I kind of do kind of and how he processes. And so he decided to get some help, and he started to do that. She goes back in. They, they live together for probably the next 10 years. They have two kids, beautiful little girls. But then he starts to cycle back into this. He starts to look at her or his kids to give him his worth, his value, his identity. He starts looking at them saying, you know, you need to make me feel better. I feel like this. And then he starts saying, and I don't believe in Jesus because I'm still angry about all of these things. And it ends up the wife and the kids left because there was emotional and mental abuse. And they could not stay there any longer. He acts like he owned her. It was her job to make him happy. And again, I'm not saying she didn't sow any seed in this at all. But she comes and talks to me after all this. And I'm just like, I am really, really sorry that this happened. He has all these accusations in his mind. But it's what he sows. As I said, don't worry. It's none of you. <laughs> I can't use half of you for my illustrations because you get mad at me. But whatever. I have seen people I love go through so much in their lives because they're so self-focused and yet they just keep sowing that and their lives keep being destroyed and they keep saying, why, why, why? Some people, you know, talk and talk and talk. Have you ever run into somebody like that after service one day and they just kind of keep talking and the people around just glaze over? They're just sowing this seed and they don't even realize that nobody's listening anymore. If someone does that to me, I'm usually like, hey, I can't pay attention anymore. You're just talking too much. And if I walk by a conversation, I start to pray. God, please let this person wake up and kind of see what they're doing in this moment. But I will tell you, a lot of our lives, 4th of July, a lot of our lives are like a crappy fireworks. You light it, you think it's going out, and all of a sudden, oh, boom, and it blows up in our faces because we keep making these dumb decisions in our lives. This is why Paul keeps saying, your focus needs to be the gospel. Your focus needs to be who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in your life. And so we need to really do some hard introspection. When we sow death, 
It may take some time, but every time it ends up in death. Do not be deceived. Do not think that anger and jealousy and discord leads to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. And Paul says we all do this. We think we're the exception, but we are not. We are not. It's all going to explode. A couple weeks ago, I was irritated about something or other, and I was talking to my wife, and I, and I wanted her to give me something, but I was just irritated, and I was pushing her in all these different directions. And I'll tell you, when I sow that seed, I'm never going to get what I want. It's not like I'm all, grr, grr, and she's like, I love you. You're so wonderful. It's like, well, what is going on with you? And I'm like, I just need you to love me, but I don't say that. All I say is, I just keep going at her from all these different directions because I'm irritated. And I don't know how to put what I'm saying. I'm just sowing all the wrong seed. My harvest comes. And it is not the harvest that I want, right? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Bitterness leads to death. It never leads to love. And guys, I got to tell you, we must be a people who begin to understand that. We must be a people who start to learn how to sow from God's bucket. And the reason I started talking about this is not legalism. This is Paul talking about grace and moving to the place where we'd understand our lives better. We sow from God's bucket. We want to know the scriptures, be in relationship. So Paul goes into, in terms of relationship, we must sow forgiveness, not bitterness, and grace and not grudges. This is what he says, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, the sad thing is for us, many times we think that if we're going to start sowing something different, we think the harvest is going to come that day. Like, we have no idea nowadays, like, what timing is actually like because Amazon delivers your packages not in two days anymore, but still fairly quickly. Uh, you can get almost anything instantly online when you, when you order it. And so we don't understand that certain things take time. I talk to people and they're like, I read my Bible and my life didn't change. It's like, for how long? Two days. So I go, okay. I prayed all kinds. How long? Three times in what? In the last year. And these things, and, and we do this all the time. But I will tell you, when we love and serve and understand the gospel and begin to live that in our life, it's not that the, har the harvest doesn't come. It's that it hasn't arrived yet. The Bible says you sow, you wait, you harvest eventually because that's how it works. That's why it uses this illustration. Because what it is, is you sow in the ground and eventually it takes time for that to grow and then the harvest comes. You may have a neighbor that you've been praying for and you may have to love them for 30 plus years before you see the harvest in their lives. Our world is so short-sighted today. Like, again, I read my Bible for a week, nothing changed, I'm going to give up on God. Here's the beauty, God does not give up on us. That's the centrality of the gospel. This is why we need to understand the gospel because Paul says our greatest temptation as believers is you're going to get tired. You're going to get tired because you're sowing and sowing and sowing. You're going to want to grow weary. You're honest at your job. Your dishonest, your dishonest coworker gets a promotion. Oh, it's not working. It's not that it's not working, right? You pull your kids from social media. You begin to discipline them. You stop telling them every crazy idea they have in their head is the best in the world. And yet you're like, and they, oh, they hate me. They're still midget demons. It's not that it's not working, okay? It's not working. Maybe you are someone who's, who's single, right? And maybe God's laid that on your heart. You're just going to be single. Or maybe you want a relationship and your friends are all hooking up and shacking up, but you're not doing those things. You're like, but look at them. They're having relationships. Well, it's not that it's not working because if you watch, many of those relationships fall apart. So it's not working yet. 
Maybe your life changed. You decide, I am not going to be the same person. I'm going to love my spouse every single day, and yet they're still not that lovely. It's not that it's not working. Maybe you decide to be generous because God calls us to be a generous people. So you start giving, and yet you're still having financial troubles. It's not that it's not working. I'm your pastor. I feel this way at times. It is normal. Paul says, don't give up because there is a harvest, one that's already been done for us and one that will take place in our lives. And sometimes people think talk like this is nuts, right? Love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, be involved in other people's lives. Let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I work hard, I didn't get a raise. I study hard, the guy next to me is ruining the grade curve. <laughs> that guy. I, you love your spouse, but they don't seem to be getting any nicer. You read the scriptures, you don't feel closer to God. NIV says it like this, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And again, the why this happens at the end of the book and not the beginning is Paul wants us to understand grace. It's not about our works. It's that God has given us grace. Now our lives are beginning to be lived differently. Those who give up don't see the harvest. A farmer knows. A farmer knows it takes time not just to grow a tree, but fruit on that tree. The farmer who gives up doesn't eat from the harvest. If you sow nothing, it's not that you're really sowing nothing. You're still sowing something. And we are deceived to think otherwise. And so this is why you understand grace in Galatians. When Paul says, for in due seasons we will reap, it means at the proper time. Okay, so when is the proper time? Practically speaking, what, what is that day? Where's the finish line? We all want to know that. We say, God, I'm going to trust you until the day that you say that's, that's the thing. And then if my neighbor hasn't changed, then I'll mow their shrubs down with my lawnmower. That, that, then I'll do that, right? No, there's going to be a proper time, but God doesn't tell, it, tell us when it is. Why? Because if he told us when the proper time is, our goal would be to get to that time and not to stick with him. We would focus on the day, the hour, but not the God who loves us and saves us. God wants us to be with him, to walk with him. And I think that means there is some seed that will get sown in our lives that you will never even see. Maybe your grandkids will see that. I think even in our lives, most of the fruit that we eat today is from what someone else has sown. And I know in the world we live in today, we're trying to gobble it all up ourselves, but we need to not grow weary, not lose heart. It may not work today, but God is faithful. So this is where Paul ends in verse 10. He says, so doing good to all. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Tomorrow, you are probably not harvesting. You're probably sowing more. And when you do harvest, it's been a long time coming. One of the reasons we try so hard to connect you in friendship communities centered around the gospel, these things called gospel communities. We're doing, as I said, a cohort you know, in the, in the middle of August if you're interested in being a leader of a gospel community, is that in those communities, you will see people who have laid a seed and they have seen a harvest. Even if you don't, you will see it in other people's lives and they can come alongside and then begin to encourage you because the harvest is beautiful. The staff here, uh, the elders, you know, me as one of your pastors, we get to see all this from a different vantage point because we see your harvest. We see the good harvest. <laughs> we see the bad ones too, but we, we, we see them. We, we, we see the change that God is doing. Uh, you know, I've seen a, a wife who prays for her husband and he begins to change and grow up. I've seen a husband pray for his wife and the same thing happened. I have seen some parents who were kind of a little crazy and they come to Christ and they raise their kids differently and eventually it takes hold in their kids. Bad news, you are going to grow weary. Good news, there will be a harvest. So we keep sowing. If you have a Bible, open to Hebrews chapter 12. 
That's on page 653 if you're using an element Bible. So Paul keeps bringing this back to how we love one another and the church itself, what is good to everyone, and especially those who are the household of faith. That sounds so hard because I get it. Christians are terrible, right? They're really hard people to live with. They're the worst. If a non-believer acts like a jerk, it's kind of expected like milk goes bad or leave mayonnaise in the sun for a week. It's not any good anymore. But a Christian, you expect good seed from a Christian. And when you don't get it, what do you do? You continue to sow good seed, just like God does in us. We stick by each other's side, even when it gets exhausting or when people sin or self-deception is overwhelming. So, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is real, I'm going to read this to you out of the NIV. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That's our deception. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So where are we looking? We're not looking at the fruit. We're not looking at the harvest. You know, we're not looking at those things. We're looking at Jesus. That's where we're looking. The author and perfecter of our faith. He starts it. He completes it. Who for the joy set before him endured this cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not, what does it say? Grow weary. So you will not grow weary and lose heart. The only way in the midst of this world that we don't throw our hands up and say, I'm done. I'm going to sin like crazy as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Only being with him do we not lose heart. Here's the reality. We are a people who have sown sin and death into our lives and into our relationships. And the only reason we don't reap that on a daily basis is the grace of God is the grace of God. We have been separated from God by our sin. Our sin should have been, we should have been punished for our sin. We should have died for our sin. And yet Jesus comes and he is punished in our place. He, is, he dies in our place. We receive righteousness and life because of what he has done. Because we sow sin and death all the time. And yet we get the harvest of what he has sown because of grace. We've been given that grace that Jesus rightly deserves. And so we keep our eyes upon him. And when our personal harvest doesn't come as fast as we want, we consider Jesus. We have been loved, so we love. We have been forgiven, so we forgive. And don't mistake me when I talk about sowing and reaping. It is not karma. How do I know that? Because we have sown folly all over our lives, and yet instead we've been given grace. That is not karma. And so that means we sow grace in others. We start sowing out of God's good bucket that is so plentiful and is there next to us all the time so that those around us who need the grace of God can have the grace of God sown in their lives. This is why Paul walks the direction he does in the entire book. He starts with grace and grace and grace and grace. And you guys probably got tired of me talking about the gospel. But that's the foundation before you get to anything about burdens and loads and everything and nothing and sowing and reaping. Because grace is the foundation. It is not about our works. It's about the life that God has given us. We continue to sow death. And God continues to bestow life. That is the understanding of the good news of the gospel. God has given us great grace. And in that grace, we get to begin to live and walk and live completely new lives. But there is an understanding of wanting to live differently because of what God has done in our lives. It's a response. Like everything we do is meant to be a response first to what God has done. We're not trying really hard to make God love us. We are living, resting in the assurance that He does love us that he has come for us, that he has bestowed grace and goodness and mercy upon us. And so as a result, we get to naturally begin to live that out. And Paul says a natural part of that is understanding our sowing and our reaping. Sowing 
and reaping. Sowing. This is why we come to communion every single week. It's a reminder that we have sown sin and death. And Jesus has sown life and grace and given it to us. That's why you come and you break the cracker like, like his body was broken for us. That's why you break it like that. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of his great love that was given to us as he sheds his blood for us. We cannot pay for the debt that we have before God. So Jesus, in an act of mercy and grace, pays that for us to bring us back into relationship with him again. We get the harvest of salvation that he sowed. And that should just blow our minds, that he is so good to do that for us. It kind of goes to where Paul ends up next week, that he says, I will boast in nothing but the cross and what God has done for us, which is really where we all need to end up being, which is a great place to land the book. Hope you come back. Um, if you need prayer, there's going to be people right across the way in the lounge. And maybe you are someone who spends a lot of your life thinking it's karma or works to either get God to love you or to figure out these things. And we want you to come to a place where you understand what the gospel truly is, what grace truly is, so that you would begin to live in ways that kind of reflect the great grace that has been given to you, the great harvest that, that we get. And if you would like prayer, they would love to pray for you right across the way over there, either during the songs or after service is over. Uh, we have offering boxes next to the side walls. Uh, we do not pass a plate at Element. We give as a response to what God has done. So you can do that. You can give online. But we do not pass a plate because we don't want anybody to ever feel forced to do it. It's a response to understanding God's generosity first given to us. And we'd encourage you to take those sermon notes, maybe sit down with one another today, this week, and kind of walk through some of those questions, sowing and reaping the reality of what it means, but also how we have received grace from God himself that we have received a harvest that we did not sow because God has deemed to love and restore and redeem us and bring us to himself. The central point of the gospel that Jesus has come to save lost people. And he continues to do that. And we get to be the recipients of the harvest of his grace. So let's live as a people in humbleness because we have been given salvation in life. Let's pray. Part of this morning, I ask that you would teach us what it means to be those who actually live in the understanding of the harvest of righteousness that we get that is not our own, but has been given to us. That we would understand the truth of how often we have sown death and destruction, and yet how often you have sown life. that by grace we get what we do not rightly deserve. But you and your great mercy bestow it upon us. And I ask that that would begin to change us to see how we sow and how we look at our own harvest. That understanding the humbleness of having you rescue and save us would bring us to a place where we see those in the world around us differently. We see ourselves differently. We see you differently. That we would see it all through the lens of the good news of what you have done and continue to do. I ask that you would teach us that sowing and reaping is not about legalism. It's not about 
karma. It's about living lives in response to your great grace. So lovingly bestowed upon us. And we would see the places that we continue to run towards, thinking that it's going to lead to a harvest. Uh, We would see the places where we're self-deceived. And not having that lead us back to a place of despair, but lead us to a new place of hope and life. Because there's a joy in understanding that we are loved in such a way that is restorative. Not because of anything we have done, but because of who you are. And so I ask that you teach us to be a people who glorify you in all things by how we sow and by in the end what we reap. The harvest of righteousness given to us by you. We ask that in your son's good name. Amen. So we drop the curtains. What I want you guys to do is just take a moment and think about that. Not in a legalistic way, but think about sowing and reaping in your own life. Maybe some things that have happened in the last month, the last year, last hour. (laughs) Sowing and reaping. Have you walked through some places where maybe you felt self-deceived, like you're going to sow something? And then in the end, that thing you're sowing ends up just blowing up in your face because you're sowing the wrong thing. Maybe for the wrong reason. And in the next few moments, just ask God to show you what it means to trust in His harvest of righteousness, what the gospel really is. And then ask Him, God, right now, what things do you want me to begin to sow in my life that will result in glory to you and a new type of life that I begin to live in so that you are glorified in all things. Again, sowing and reaping, it is not about legalism. It's about grace and a response to the goodness of God's great rescue of us. And we want to live in ways that glorify and honor Him. So ask Him about that. Then come and take communion, sing some songs with us, and we'll head out into this 4th of July week. Hopefully you'll come back next week with all your fingers. Because you had a harvest of safe and sane. (laughs) Guys, let's let's live in in this deep abiding joy because our ultimate harvest of righteousness and salvation is bestowed upon us. Not something we earn. It's the harvest that Jesus has given to us.